our plan is to do three talks on relationships and then to have a question and answer on the fourth Sunday. The Easter Sunday will be devoted to a look at relationships in that perspective. And we may alter this plan. You can, <laughs> you can, I'm sure you can see nothing is organized about this uh, operation. This morning, I wanted to talk about that aspect of relationships that many of you may be experiencing at this time. The idea for this talk was triggered by a question that one of you asked last Sunday when we had our question and answer period on crises. <coughs> and someone asked, what do you do when your old friends are not acceptable and yet you don't have your brand new shiny spiritual friends yet? <laughs> Which brings up the question of the holy relationship. <laughs> Gail, uh, let me just read a couple of, uh, of the sentences again that Gail read from on page uh, 150 of the text. It talked about how only the different can attack, but you cannot attack because you are not different. This is the function of your holy relationship. For what one thinks the other will experience with him. What can this mean except your minds are one? Now here's the sentence that I think is so important. Look not with fear upon this happy fact. And think not that it lays a heavy burden on you. I guess it was inevitable that this happened to A Course in Miracles. It's happened to every other teaching. There's a, the ego gets involved with the teaching. And you have... There are no experts on A Course in Miracles. There's no ex experts on anything. And yet, you always have a body of self-appointed experts with self-given titles that crop up around any movement. It's very, very interesting. Jung was once asked, uh, as a Jungian, what did he think about such and such? He said, I am not a Jungian. <laughs> but we can see this happen, and it's happened, of course, with A Course in Miracles. And it's especially happened uh, with this whole thing about the holy relationship. Now, there are no good guys and bad guys. I've participated in this insanity myself and going around in different parts of the country. And just in using that term, the holy relationship, unless you have lots of time to go into that subject, it is automatically misunderstood. There is nothing different about what A Course in Miracles says about the holy relationship than what it says about anything else. 
You could take your razor blade and cut out everything that A Course in Miracles says about the holy relationship and only read the other parts and you would still learn everything that you needed to learn about the holy relationship. It is not different. But now, with this spiritual movement that the ego has mustered around a genuine awakening that has begun on this earth, you see the, fir the first trickles of this, this stream of w true life all over this globe now, but behind this is this ocean of insanity. And in this ocean of insanity, we have terms like my spiritual partner. Uh, we don't have astral mate, but I'm sure that... <laughs> <laughs> my very own being of light. We don't have that one yet. But do you see what happens here? My spiritual partner, my holy relationship... It's as if, can anybody expect to find such a thing? You see what begins to happen? We manufacture an image of someone out there who's going to do it all for us. Passages are taken out of context in A Course in Miracles. And people do lay a burden on themselves. And this becomes a very unhappy concept that there's something that must be done, that there's someone that must be found. There isn't anyone that must be found. I would prefer that we went back to the good old terms, um, my old man, <laughs> and the little lady. <laughs> most, most men are... are um, most men are older than their spouse, and so and that and age is considered to be slightly negative. And most women are shorter than their spouse, and uh, that's considered to be slightly negative to be short. And so this puts the whole thing in context. You see, this is actually what you're going to get: someone old or someone short. <laughs> This will not be a talk on the holy relationship this morning because I don't want to add still more silliness to all this concept. So let me just say a few things that A Course in Miracles does not say about a, a holy relationship and then we'll just leave that alone and assume that if you understand anything else about A Course in Miracles, you understand all you need to know about the holy relationship. A Course in Miracles does not say that the holy relationship is a romantic relationship, that it has anything to do with romantic love. It doesn't say that it doesn't have anything to do with romantic love, which is the other reaction that I see people taking. It doesn't say that you must live with the person who is your holy relationship. It does not say that you must see the person who is your holy relationship frequently, daily. 
It does not say that you must look for your holy relationship. It does not say that you must decide who your holy relationship is. The holy relationship is simply the first person in whom you will see yourself. The first person in whom you will see Christ. Your identity. It is the first person in whom you will recognize that this individual's interests are the same as your interests. You will suddenly see, ah, their interests are the same as mine. It will be look it will be like looking in a mirror, but a mirror that's as broad as the sky. Nowhere in A Course in Miracles does it say that the holy relationship is exclusive. Now I realize that many of you are not students of A Course in Miracles, but I want to point out that this same general concept is out there without the term holy relationship. So if you haven't read A Course in Miracles, still you may have gotten in your mind that there is this spiritual partner that you have to hook up with. All you have to do is practice the oneness and allness of love and a time will come in which you will suddenly see Christ standing before you. Now something else that, that should be said about this, you can have that experience with a particular individual and the next time you see them you won't have that experience. So if you have that experience, don't even conclude anything from that. Don't say, ah, this is the one. Because you may be in misinterpreting what the experience is. <coughs> the advice I would give you is to forget about spiritual partners and holy relationships and practice kindness and practice universal love and practice devotion. Practice sustaining your relationships. Practice being an honorable and good friend. Practice being a great mom or a great dad. Practice being a good son or a good daughter. Practice true, deep devotion. Practice a great friendship, even with people that you, you meet in stores and in banks and, and walking down the street. and Just these encounters that we have at toll booths and things like that. There is no exclusion of love. And what happens in a holy relationship is that having seen the fact in one place, it automatically expands to everyone else. And so that's all that will happen is that you will begin, you will see, ah, this is not some sort of abstract teaching. That there is perfect man out there in the universe, that there is a spiritual identity, there is truth with a capital T, and nowhere do you see it in your experience, but you must see it in your experience, or else you will not awaken and realize that indeed all this separateness, all this caging in of ourselves into these little isolated, lonely, deteriorating bodies is nonsense. This is not what's going on. But it must be seen. We can't just say those words. 
and you will see it in someone's eyes. And maybe it won't occur with that person again for a while. And then maybe you'll see it in someone else. And yes, you will have a sense of someone with you. And very likely, especially in with our culture where we need this very badly, we, we, we have such an emphasis on separateness and isolation and individuality and everything, this will probably take the form of a deep, deep friendship. And then that little garden will begin to grow. But don't look for it. Don't wait for it. Don't describe it to yourself. You see, another thing that happens is that people get married to someone who will eventually be their spiritual partner, but they aren't their spiritual partner at the time they marry them. And so let's say you've got two people. Person A gets married. Person B does not get married. Now let's look in on them ten years later. Person A is still married, but like almost everyone else, person A is walking with someone, but not joined with someone. There is, a, there is a, an alliance there. There's a sort of stumbling together down the road of life, you see. And there's a certain agreement on what's awful and what's not awful. <laughs> but there's no joining. And this is, of course, what's true of all relationships. Now, ten years later, person A and, and person A's spouse decide to really form a deep, deep relationship. I've forgotten my A's and B's. <laughs> the other person, <laughs> maybe it's B now. Uh, see, they don't teach you this in ministerial school, you know, how, to, how to juggle your A's and B's. Uh, I didn't go to ministerial school. <laughs> uh, the other person meets someone, and so they both their holy relationship at about the same time. It had nothing to do with whether or not they were married or not. It has to do with the decision that I will begin to honor those around me. Not do everything they ask you to do, but honor them and love them and be kind to them and treat them as if they were yourself. Treat them as if you were some sort of ghost or something. And this is what you really are this is your, your receiver. This is where everything comes in to your heart. You take this person and you say, this is where, this is the door to my heart. And you honor that door. But you must do that with everyone. And then, of course, it will begin somewhere. You will begin seeing it. But conclude nothing about that. So let's get to this question of what do we do at this stage that many of you are in right now. They're the old friends. You still see them occasionally. Um, they talk about uh, the su sushi. They talk about the sushi at uh, 
taros and shokos. They carry on about the sushi for 20 minutes. <laughs> one of them saying it's uh, fresher at shoko, and the other one saying yes, but it's it's cut from the 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 uh, back quarters of the uh, tuna. Tuna? I wasn't talking about tuna. I was talking about squid. You don't mean that you eat tuna as your sushi. And this goes on and on. You're sitting there listening to this. You see, they bring up the latest war. But this only, they give five minutes. They've given the sushi 25 minutes. You note this in your mind. 25 minutes to the sushi and five minutes to the latest war. You see. So you say, I can't see them anymore. <laughs> So, you look around, you say, I'm on a spiritual path, I need spiritual people. What the ego means, people who talk spiritual, that's what the ego means by spiritual people. They use a certain language. So now you're out to dinner with your new spiritual friends, because you've called them up and you've arranged this, you see. Now you're out there. They spend 25 minutes on the color of the third ethereal body. <laughs> and there's someone at the table who doesn't think there is, even is a third ethereal body. <laughs> and then they get into whether or not it's your rising sign or your sun sign that affects your libido. <laughs> you see. The waiter who's waiting at your table said, oh, I thought it was when you're sick. <laughs> you notice that they will not talk to the waiter after this. <laughs> if the waiter had said, I thought it was UFOs, then they would talk to him. You see? So now your new spiritual friends don't satisfy you either. There's, there, as a matter of fact, they may <laughs> dissatisfy you more than your old friends because... You may think that you have very strong opinions on these subjects yourself, and they haven't got this right. <laughs> so you may actually find it harder to forgive your acquired spiritual friends than your old friends. Now, so now you are alone. You don't know what to do. You're just sitting now at home. Possibly you're sitting with someone who you know is not your spiritual partner. <laughs> They won't go to the meeting. <laughs> and when you say Holy Spirit, they look up at the ceiling. <laughs> All right. So what can you do? Let me give you some things that you can do. This is a transitional period. If you haven't gone through it, you will. Uh, and don't be, don't, it, this doesn't last forever. Uh, there is a little transitional thing that goes on there. And many mistakes are made. We try to get rid of certain friends who actually we don't need to get rid of at all because we've actually got... You see, all, all, the only people that, that you want to be with are just people that you can be happy and relaxed with. The spiritual path is just simple happiness. And relaxation. If you, if you, if there's someone that you feel comfortable around, it doesn't matter if they spend all night sp talking about Monday night football. It doesn't matter. You just like sitting there and hearing them discuss it and so forth. 
So what, what do you do? Go ahead and allow yourself to be with whoever is comfortable to be with. We don't have to read books with spiritual overtones or go out with people who talk spiritual or any of that nonsense. So allow yourself, first of all, the contacts that you can allow yourself. There was a man who came up to me after the service last Sunday, said that he was very suicidal. And we talked about this. And do you know what he did? I talked to him again at the end of the day. Do you know what he did? He went over to DeVargas Mall and talked to the people who were looking at the new cars. Now those aren't spiritual people, are they? He had the greatest time. He allowed himself to buy an ice cream cone. It wasn't even haagen It was that phony stuff with all the chemicals in it. He sat there around the new cars, just walked around, licking his ice cream cone, talking to these unspiritual people, and he just had a ball. First time he hadn't been lonely in a long, long time. That's okay. That is the path. That moves you forward. So let me just list some suggestions. Let's say that you are in a relationship now with a friend or you are living with someone, and this relationship is very distressing to you. Let's say that there are things that you want to do that this person seems to object to. Let's say you like to meditate every once in a while. Would you like to go to the meeting? Hopefully you've cut out insisting that someone use the same language or discuss the same ideas that you like to discuss, but this person seems to be actively interfering with a few things that you would like to do, which is pray at certain times, read certain books, and you think you're reading these books quietly, unobtrusively, but it's a scene, so you're scared to even pick up the book because it's going, there's going to be a scene about it. Now, the first thing you must understand is you're participating in this. This is not a guilty thought. There's nothing to do about that truth, but it will help you be less judgmental if you realize the fact that whatever is going on, you are participating in it. Now, what the ego says is, yes, but the other person is doing most of it. That's like saying, we're going to build a car. You have built everything about the car, uh, the, the sides and the tops and the, and the engine and the doors and the upholstery and everything, and I'm going to supply the wheels. That's all I supplied was the wheels. You built the entire car. It doesn't matter what our portion, uh, portion of participation is. And this is what the ego centers on. How much each person is to blame. I can promise you if there's something disturbing going on in your experience, you are participating in, in it enough that it has life. You do not have to ask yourself, how are you doing this? 
or alter any behavior if you'll just accept the fact that in some way you are dancing this little dance, although it may not be obvious to you, you are participating to some degree. How do you know if you're participating? If the situation distresses you, your ego is involved in it. That's the way you know. So it isn't the situation that's good or bad. For example, there are couples who, who have no sexual uh, relationship. And neither, and neither the people care. They don't care about sexual relationships. This is neither good nor bad. This is, in, in the present context of today in all of our magazines, this would be considered very, very bad. Unless, of course, you listen to all the people who are now talking about abstinence and that you should actively be abstinent. But this is neither. This is, let's just say you have a couple and neither of them are, are interested in sex. There is no problem there. If one person thinks that there's a problem, then there is a problem, even though the situation is the same as with this other couple, and both people are participating. So it isn't the situation that indicates there's a problem. It's whether or not you find yourself distressed or irritated or angry or concerned or adult or thinking about it or dwelling on it. If that's going on, your ego is involved in what's going on. Accept that fact, and it will begin to correct itself of itself. The second thing that you might try is seeing what of this is truly important to you. Is it truly important to you that you read this book when the other person is around? Is it truly important that you go to the meeting on Thursday night? Is it truly important that you have lunch with so-and-so who your partner just can't stand? First, look in your heart and see what of all of that is truly important. Drop everything that isn't. And try telling at the appropriate time and in complete kindness and with as much peace as you can have how important this is. In the last uh, four Sundays, we talked a little bit about battered women. One of the things that I have noticed is that early in a relationship, before this pattern develops, if the woman takes a stand and says, if you touch me one more time, the relationship is over. And if, if she means it, the person will not touch her again. If you can see what's truly important, truly, truly important, then the other person will respond if they want the relationship. And of course they want the relationship or they wouldn't be in it. So look in your heart and don't issue this as a threat what I told you was said somewhat as a threat. And that's never necessary. It's never necessary. That, 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 just, that just activates the other person's ego. You see, they get their back up about this. So it doesn't have to be said as a threat, but it has to. you have to know that this is important. I have got to go to the Thursday night meeting.
I know you can't stand it. I know you don't like the people who are there and so forth. We don't have to see the people anymore socially. But you must understand that this Thursday night meeting is very, very important to me. And if you see this and if you know it and you look them straight in the eye and you tell it to them, then there will be an accommodation. It may not be a perfect accommodation. There may be a few mutters. You see? We've noticed this about uh, John. Just simply telling him what's important. It isn't necessary that he understands it. We, uh, When Gail and I used to meditate, uh, John would do something like... Uh, he would, he would get out his howitzer noise. <laughs> Suddenly, the house had to be cleared of all monsters. <laughs> and so, uh, he would go around the house. He, we couldn't meditate, you see. Something like that. It was just almost as if he became extremely uh, noisy simply because we sat down to meditate we decided to simply tell him how important... He doesn't understand meditation. He doesn't know. There would be no way to explain what we're doing to him. It, it's, you know, it's just one of the many crazy things that adults do. To a child, they sit down, they close their eyes. How boring! To a child, it is absolute nonsense. But, but we sit down and we said, John, it's very, very important to us. And we want you to be very quiet when we meditate. Nodded his little head and everything like that, you see. And it's been that way ever since. All we have to do is tell him that we're meditating. We don't abuse that. We don't tell him that we're meditating when we're not. <laughs> we don't apply this to TV programs and things, you see. There was another situation... And that was when we started putting on his uh, pajamas at night. Now, this is a, a kids who, of course, like to make a game of everything. And he would play sleight of foot. He'd be trying to get the pajama on. And there the foot would be. And then there it wouldn't be. And this was just <laughs> hilarious, you see. And so it'd go on. Now, what Gail and I both realized was that at the end of the day, we were usually tired and a little discouraged, and we were in no mood to play. But for a long time, we just went ahead and tried to half play and half discipline him out of a bad mood and so forth, and nothing was going on until we looked at the fact that we were not able to play this late in the day. And so we told him, at least I did, uh, I, possibly Gail still plays with him a little bit, but I said, John, it's very important to me that you cooperate. Fortunately, Sesame Street uses that term all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important that you cooperate when I put on your daddy's tired and so forth. And so now he does that. It was just interesting. Just telling him it was important, he understood it. Children and everyone else want to get along. There is a basic instinct within us that we want to accommodate the other person. This is obviously layered over by a lot of silly stuff, but if you really let someone know that it's important, this might help. 
Another thing that might help with your friends, and we're talking about your old friends or your spouse or so forth, is to be very careful of your definition of honesty and transparency. It is very important that you be transparent, but recognize that the ego means by that that you sit down and very earnestly tell the person, you are a nerd. You're a nerd now. You must understand that I don't judge you for this because your mother was a nerd, and you're just like your mother, so I realize you're not to blame for this. And we think we're being honest, you see, to do this. Honesty has no attack in it. Honesty, if, if you're completely open, you will automatically be gentle. So another rule that might be of help just in getting along with those old friends and those old employees and the people that you work with and the people that you're still coming in contact with who are not on a spiritual path yet and you find this somewhat distressing, one thing that you might do is not bring things up until you can bring it up in peace. There is never any reason to bring some, something up quickly. So the ego type of honesty says you must bring it up now. This has gone on too long. But now is the time that you're irritated about. Now is the time you're upset. So if there's any question as to what the reaction will be, wait. Bring it up at the best possible time. Because when you bring something up, you engage another ego. Anything can be solved more easily and more quickly if it is kept within you. If you keep it within you, you've got a far better chance of taking care of it than if you put it onto another ego. Now you've got something outside of you to deal with. As long as it's just inside, you've got a very good chance of taking care of this. So don't bring things up unless you simply cannot handle it. Now give yourself plenty of time to understand this, that this situation is just too exasperating and it goes on and on and on and you're not going to be able to handle it by yourself. Then, in peace and as kindly as you can, and understanding that the other person is probably going to be defensive, know that, don't expect them to uh, not be defensive. Knowing that, seeing that you have tried everything you can to handle it yourself and it's still there, then, of course, go ahead and bring it up. Unless, of course, this is a person with whom you cannot speak on any subject, and then take it to someone <coughs> who can counsel you and be a friend to you. Don't take it to just anybody. Take, to, take it to someone who will give you the truth, who will tell you the truth, and not just support your ego position. The third thing. Try joining in the activities that this group of people participate in. You might be surprised that you might Enjoy going to the pit. Now, of course, maybe you'll wear your uh, flesh color. The pit is where the Lobos pay. people were 
turning to each other and asking, Pitt is where the Lobos play. Now, you take your flesh-colored uh, earplugs, do you see? Uh, if the decibels are too high for you, uh, someone says, uh, What's, is something wrong with your ear? Oh, it's a little growth. Um, doctor says it's nothing. It'll fall out by itself. So do whatever you need to do. Get lots of buttered popcorn. Maybe you'll like uh, getting up every once in a while, walking around, just looking at the people and the crowd reactions and going out and talking to the uh, sausage man, you see. Uh, what, but you may find a way to participate in the activities that you don't think of as spiritual if you will just allow yourself to. See if you can give yourself a little gift. You see, the reason we don't do this is we think we're giving ground. We've taken a stand on this before. We're above this. We're beyond this particular activity. And so we don't do it any longer. But maybe there's a way. There is nothing wrong with going to Club West. Maybe it would be all right to do that, you see. Now, you may not be able to be peaceful in that situation, but do you know that yet? Have you really tried, you see? The third thing is be patient. Stop the world. This is very, very broad. This goes back to an exercise which we've stated in many ways here. I want to state it in a new way today. And I would like to give this to you as an assignment. Hope you all did your assignment last week of uh, becoming silent and thoughtless when you had a decision to make. And notice that the decision was made anyway. The decision was already there. You didn't have to think about it. Yes, you did that. <laughs> All right. Now, here's one I'd like you to try this week. Try stopping the world. Pretend that your, your stillness, your gaze, the focus of your mind freezes everything around you, or it freezes what you, what you look at. It freezes it in stillness. It freezes it in peace. Now, this thought will occur to you Every once in a while, as you're getting out of your car and walking into your house or at some time, and say, I'm going to stop the world. Or if you prefer, I'm going to slow the world down. Now, you don't slow your body down. You don't start work walking in slow motion. This is, there's nothing to do with it. Keep right at the same pace, but have this sense that you can still the waters of this world. That you know that you actually can do that. It has nothing to do with of re decreasing the speed of automobiles or things like, silly things like that. But freeze the world in stillness. Be still and then bring your stillness to the things around you. This is what praying without ceasing means. We do not confine meditation to a sitting position certain times during the day. That it must be developed, oftentimes it has to be developed in little practice periods like that. Be sure that you give yourself enough times during the day to practice stillness, deliberately practice it. Yes, you must do that, but the time must come in which you, you must still it. 
still the things around you. If you have to go out and carry firewood in, see that the firewood is part of your peace. See that your back is part of your peace. See that the stove is part of your peace. See that the little crumbs that fall, fall off of the uh, off of the wood onto the floor is part of your peace. See that the, that the floor is part of your peace. Freeze it in peace. See that it's all innocent. One thing is not in opposition to another. The firewood is not your back's enemy. It's not your floor's enemy. It's not your time's enemy. Your time and the firewood and the floor and everything are the same. And if you will encircle it all in peace, this, in a sense, is the beginning of a holy relationship. The seeing of the presence of God, even in a crazy, mixed-up world like this. The fifth thing. So great to have numbers. Boy, was that a well-organized talk. <clears throat> Be a receiver. Not a telephone. Be a receiver. Be a taker. Be an acceptor. Open your heart as you walk down the street, as you go into a store, as you begin your job, as you take your coffee break, as you walk out of here, open yourself up to what you are not receiving. There's a little bit of God coming to you from everything in this world because there is no place where God is not. And you can get God from anything. In reading fiction, you can almost see where this person gets God. Each, each, if you've ever done this, lots of times I'll have several books stacked up and I'll read a few out of pages out of one book and then a few out of another and a few out of another. Just I've sometimes, you know, obviously I'm a scattered individual. You knew that anyway. But it's interesting in switching from one stand, standpoint to another in fiction, how each person sees God in a different place, although, of course, they wouldn't use that word, most of them. But there are the good things. The good, the good things are pussycats. That's what makes this person's heart melt. The good things are people who take stands on national issues. This is where that person sees honor and integrity and consistency. Everything is a good thing if you bring your peace to it, if you open your heart to it and see something beside just the mere form of it. It has a content. This is a wonderful thing to practice, to being a receiver. This means, of course, you have no problems. This means, of course, you're in no hurry. There's nothing that has to be done. You must take your time if you're going to be a receiver. And so take your time. And you will realize that love doesn't have to come from just a few particular bodies. Love can come to you from a million sources. It can come 
from you, come to you at, at the sounds that you hear at night as you're on your bed. A cricket sound that you didn't notice. The rustling of leaves that you didn't notice. Even that old familiar hum of the refrigerator. That patient refrigerator making your ice cubes for you. <laughs> Never has complained, has it? Did it ask you for a cent? No, it just turned out the ice cubes. You see, this old friend, this old refrigerator. Number six. Be a friend. This is the carny one. You've heard this one. To have a friend, be a friend. <laughs> it's very important that you do that when you say that. <laughs> It's a fact. Try it as an experiment. Be a scientist. Try it. Just try it. Try giving exactly what you think you lack from this person. Exactly the thing that you think you lack. Give it in abundance. This has nothing to do with behavior. This has to do with a change of heart. So this doesn't call for any overt something or another. This is a pouring out of the heart. Number seven. We've talked about this to some degree. We talked about the, uh, the man who went over and had the ice cream comb and so forth. Give yourself some options. Any problem can be solved if you will take the self-imposed limits off of your options. This is the thing that I noticed over and over again in working on a crisis line. Is that no matter what the person's problem, they had so severely limited their options that there was no way they were going to solve that problem. That if they would just open their, their mind to other solutions that they would solve the problem. I don't care what the problem is. It can be walked beyond if you will not limit your options. And so often people on a spiritual path tremendously limit their options. Gail and I, uh, I think I've told you this story. I started writing notes to myself in uh, Berkeley. And then we moved to a ranch in Colorado where there was... Uh, they were having the worst winter, the hottest, wettest winter they'd ever had. And we got there before the job started, and it was just a mud lake. And uh, so we were in this little cabin with no human contact to speak of. Uh, the, our only human contact with, was Garner Ted Armstrong on the shortwave radio. And we would wait all day long to listen to to Garner Ted, um, speaking the plain truth, uh, at about uh, 7 o'clock, we could get him on the shortwave radio. Well, we, I, that's the first time I had experienced the real pain of loneliness, uh, this, this, this need that we have, or seem to have, to be in contact with other people. Now I realize that there's something else going on there beside the need for other bodies, but it... it but there's a time in which we think that's what it is, that we've got to have contact with other bodies. And many of you may be in that place where you simply cannot see 
anything but that you need some contact with other bodies just as you need certain vitamins. Or... And so, uh, what we did was we, we, we drove into... We were, we were working in Colorado near a little to- town named Chama, and we drove in... Uh, excuse me, a little town named... Uh, I don't remember. I remember the little town. <laughs> but it was, in, it was in Colorado, and we drove to Chama, which is the nearest pretty big town, which is in New Mexico, to go to the laundromat. Now, we didn't need to go do our laundry, but we thought we might meet someone at the laundromat. And we went in there, and sure enough, there was a couple down at the, at the other end, and they were about our age. And uh, we sat there and tried to muster enough courage to go over and say, Hi! But, you know, you don't usually do a laundry, man. How the socks come in? <laughs> People don't like to talk about their socks. <laughs> so I forget which of us went over, but one of us went over and uh, said hi. And uh, within 10 minutes, we'd been invited over for dinner. It doesn't always work that way. You see, but if we hadn't given ourselves that crazy option of driving all the way to Chama, we wouldn't have done that. And it turned out that we had a, a friendship there during the time that we were on that ranch. We saw these people several times. Jerry Jampolsky lives by himself. And recently, he gave himself an option that he hadn't given himself before. He didn't know what to do one evening, and he decided to visit an old age home. And because it was Valentine's Day, and he didn't have anyone, and he realized they don't have anyone either. And so he went to a florist to buy roses. It was going to cost him a lot of money. But when the florist heard what the purpose was, he donated the flowers without Jerry asking. Not only did the florist do that, the florist and some other florists got together and now they're sending flowers on several occasions during the year to these people. And now Jerry has gotten a number of people to go in because he had such a great time and because this was so satisfying for him to do that. I'm not suggesting that you do that. I'm suggesting that you open your mind to any option. You can be of great help to someone. Don't decide who that someone is, but be open to that. Look around and see if there's some person or some group of people or someone standing someplace that you can help. Tell yourself, yes, they may bark at you, It may not work. Do not tell yourself you have to hurt that the risk is genuine pain. It does not have to be pain. And this is one of the general misconceptions at this particular time. As people say, go out, take a risk. Yes, you'll get hurt. I'm telling you, go take the risk. And if you will see before that the reaction may be one of fear, you will not get hurt. 
You do not have to get hurt. You just see, ah, it didn't work with this person. They weren't open to it. Don't try to figure it out. Just try something else. Go in peace. Drop the thought. Practice mental stillness. Let the thing go and it will not hurt you. The only thing that hurts you is this merry-go-round of thought that continues on the subject. It is your dwelling on what the person said that hurts you because the person's words are now over. This is really weird. This is a really weird one. Take the Dale Carnegie course. <laughs> now, of course, a lot of you aren't going to do that, and that's just fine. Read that little book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I'm just talking about options. This is an option that no one on a spiritual path would dare allow themselves. Here's a guy that got interested in how do you become friendly with people that you don't know? How do you open up a relationship? Now, there are other books. What to Do in the First Five Minutes, that's another one. There are a lot of books like this. Uh, but this is a, a real good one also. I'm just, I bring it up because it's so unlikely that anyone on a spiritual path would, would try this out. So he had all these gambits, all these little things that he came up with that he could do when he was getting a stamp at, stamps at the post office. I remember he told a story about uh, getting the, I think it was at a post office. It's been years since I read that. And uh, this guy had a magnificent, he was, very, the, the guy at the, Getting out the stamps was obviously in a very sour mood, you see. People who work for the government sometimes are like this, you see. And uh, he was wondering, what could he do to cheer this person up? Now, he was very interested in this subject. You see, it's all right to be interested in that subject. This is not hypocrisy, to be interested in how do you make people light up. It's, that's not a hypocrisy to do that. What's wrong with making people light up? And so he was looking at the guy, and he saw this magnificent head of red hair. And as he was getting his staff, he said, that is the most magnificent head of hair I think I have ever seen. And the guy just lit up, you see. Oh, we can't do that. You're referring to his body. He's not a body. You see, that, that's so, don't do that silly stuff. You can't use any word that doesn't refer to a perception. Words are of the ego. All words refer to ego things. We're using words to let go of words. Now, the last thing I want to talk about in this whole subject, during this transitional period, when you feel cut off, and you feel lonely, and you don't know who to turn to, and you don't have the right friends, and you don't have the right partner, and all this stuff is going on. The last thing I want to talk about in this connection is depression. And let me just say a few words about depression, because very often people in this situation will get depressed. First of all, do not get tiredness and depression mixed up in your mind. Because you're physically tired does not mean that you have to be depressed. So your body will get tired and your ego will say, oh, you're depressed. No, you're not depressed if you're tired. That will eliminate a little of it, not all of it by any means. But just don't fall for that particular silly argument that your ego may give you. The second thing is do not mix up discouragement and depression. There is no need to be discouraged. 
because the truth is so simple and you already know it. If you've just been sitting here, you've heard something that was true, and that's anything that's true is connected to all things that are true. Be kind and be a receiver and open your heart. That's the only truth that you'd ever need. If you just took that one thing, you wouldn't need anything else. That's all of truth. It will give you all of truth to be kind and open and to be a receiver. That's all there is of truth. There are a million ways to say it. So the truth is so simple that you can take a stand against discouragement. So don't be discouraged. This is not a difficult thing to do in the sense that the rules are not understandable. It is difficult in that we are so conflicted about beginning. So we have a very hard time beginning because we want to go back to the old way of attacking and being separate and so forth. Now once you've eliminated those two things, then let me say this about pure depression. Do not fight it. Do not try to shorten it. Do not tell yourself that you should not be depressed. In fact, find ways to enjoy it. Make a list of the symptoms and take each symptom and see if you cannot turn it into a way of enjoyment. Each symptom, if you will look at it in this manner, will make a suggestion. Follow the suggestion. Oh, gosh, I just don't have any energy. What does that mean? Maybe that means to lie down in bed and read a good book. Do you see? If you will not fight it and take it as an enemy and think it's something you have to resist, you can take every single symptom of depression and turn it into something that's enjoyable if you will give in to it. If you fight depression, you lengthen the period of the depression and you make it more severe. If you run from it, if you criticize yourself from it, I'm telling you that depression is so widespread now that the chances are excellent that you personally will not be able to avoid this entirely. It's like the common cold or the flu or something. It is very unlikely that you're not going to have some depression. So don't think of it as some abnormality. You see, everyone goes around hiding their depression, pretending that they never get depressed, acting as if they are not depressed at the time. Now, you don't have to bring people down. I'm not talking about that. But if you're, you don't have to try to act in a way that you don't feel. See if you can act comfortably in a way that you do feel, which may be talking a little less or sitting quietly. And someone says, what's wrong? What's wrong? You usually tell lots of stories and things. Um, you say, well, I just, I just feel like being quiet this evening. I'm just, this is my quiet period. Uh, it's all right. Or just, it, sometimes you don't want to say I'm feeling depressed because everybody will say, oh, what's wrong? Because they'll, they'll, they'll act as if no one is ever depressed and this is a terrible abnormality and oh, they're just going to dive in and rescue on, you on the spot. So, since you are practicing trying to find out what's enjoyable about all this, then just say, well, I'm just sort of enjoying sitting here being quiet, kind of thing, you see. This is the primary thing about depression. 
is to not fight it, to look at it very closely. If you need to dissect it and and see the various symptoms that are made up of it, do this and then take each symptom and ask yourself, how can I make my body feel better? You see, on a spiritual path, we don't want to do that. We don't want to make our body feel better. Make your body feel better. Does the depression center in your stomach to some degree? That's why the person bought the ice cream cone I was telling you about. They looked at their stomach and they said, how can I enjoy this? And the way to enjoy it was to have an ice cream cone, you see. And those of you who have parlors, I want 10%. <laughs> yeah. It's all going to turn out all right. That's the thing to remember. And I want you to close your eyes with me, please. And let's remember that together. It's all going to turn out all right. Say that to yourself a thousand times a day. I only have one problem, and that problem has been answered. All problems are the same, and that one problem has been answered. It's all going to turn out all right. It is not up to me personally. I can fall back in the arms of the universe. I can fall back into what is. I can turn over all my cares and worries and concerns and busyness. I can relax. It's all going to turn out all right. And I want you to have a sense now, please, with your eyes closed, of someone picking you up like they did when you were a child and the steps were too tall. And someone picked you up and carried you up the steps. Your only problem is you're not allowing someone to pick you up and carry you up the steps. You're trying to walk up steps that you can't walk up. Don't ask what it is fall back into its arms. Have a sense of being carried right now. I'm going to be silent and I want you to feel this. I want you to, be, I want you to feel being picked up and carried over the problems that you seem to have in your life at this time. 